Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Feed for Dentist podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today, our guest, Dr. Roger Levin, and he's going to talk about if you're thinking of going out of network, you're thinking of dropping an insurance plan, what, what are some of the thoughts? What processes or analysis should you do to make the best decision for your model? And let's emphasize what your model is. And some people don't even know what it is. I think it's very informative. Roger's always got a good background and good, good information. As always, fee-for-service podcast brought to you by Kettenbach. Kettenbach has a brand new aesthetic nano hybrid composite. It's called Vesalis Flow and Vesalis Fill. It's 80% highly filled and great polishability. It's a wonderful aesthetic restorative anterior and high durability strength for posterior. It can fulfill all those needs. Very low shrinkage, so great marginal integrity. The Shade Guides comes in the Flex Shade system, shades A1 through A4, and also has a bleach and opaque shade. So hit them up at Kettenbach, 877-532-2123. Find out about the rep in your area and make it a plan to get some Kettenbach in your house. As always, thanks for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, like it, share it with your friends. That's how we can grow this and help more people. If you don't like it or you have suggestions or, hey, you want to be a guest, reach out to me personally, sunnyspera at gmail.com. As always, have a great day, folks. Thanks for listening. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Today we have a good old friend. It's like wearing that comfortable pair of shoes you've always had. Dr. Roger Levin is with us. And Roger has talked a little bit about, and I just want to start, but I'm going to introduce Roger formally in a second. But he started to talk about the popular subject of, hey, dropping plans. And I know sometimes it's just a knee-jerk reaction. And then there are some people who want data. And then like when we talked to Dr. Ben Burkett and when he talked about you know, worst case scenario, and he did the numbers and he had the graphs and all that. That's very helpful. But I think we need a, another perspective on it. 
And I think Roger's going to get that, give that to us. So first of all, Roger, welcome to the show. Love having you. Thanks for being you. How you been? Oh, Sonny, I've been great. I am thrilled to be back here with you. Um, you are one of the best thinkers in dentistry, and I always enjoy the conversations we have and the discussions and you know, try, trying to do everything we can to be of help to our colleagues and the profession. And I hope today will be very useful for your listeners. Now, I want to know if this was a book, if you're reading a book, there would be an asterisk next to that where he said one of the best thinkers. That would be this opinion is not shared by everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so I'll my, say that. My my thank you. I appreciate it. I have fun with it. So, so let's uh, let's talk about it. So, what are some of the things? Let's just talk about some of the trends and what you're seeing. I know what I'm seeing on social media. Obviously, I'm I'm kind of been synonymous with the fee for service because that's been my model from day one. And I've been vocal on on this format as well as a guest and now the host, et cetera. So um, I know I see it and I, I think there's a lot of quick reactions, like emotional gut reactions that are going on with a lot of people. What are you seeing? What are the trends that you're seeing? The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, Visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. What are you seeing? What are the trends that you're seeing? Sure. And, and you know, Sonny, you said something really important that I want to open with. Emotional decisions are often the worst decisions we ever make in our life. If we look back at some of the really bad decisions, and for anyone that unfortunately had a significant negative event, that they, that they could, could have controlled, it's often an emotional decision. So the big, you have to separate noise from reality. And as you know, Good every point. year, Lavinger, yeah, we do an annual- But that right there, that right there is such a key point. Separate noise from reality, right? Fact from fiction, fantasy land, social media, the real world, taxes, accountant, patients, bills, et cetera. Thank you. Yeah. Well, just like just like they talk about Facebook, you know, when you go on Facebook, you are the only one not having a perfect life. You know, you're, that's noise. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was good. You combined it to one sentence, but yeah, right. So, uh, as you know, every year we do an annual practice survey. It's published in Dental Economics Magazine. We just finished our seventeenth year, and the data was clear that only eleven percent of practices are currently fee-for-service, completely fee-for-service, meaning they do not participate with any plans. And that number's been stable. Uh, it surprised me. Even through the pandemic, it didn't change. I thought it would so, go up a little bit, to be honest with you. I thought it would go up a little bit. I, I, think, I think there are two parts to that. I think more practices went fee-for-service, mm -hmm. but I think during the pandemic, due to concerns and maybe a little bit of panic, some practices that were fee-for-service started taking a couple of plans. So I think we basically had a trade-off yeah. between the practices. Yeah, below so, the line, below the line, yeah. Yeah, so participate, but you used a really important word when you said you've always been fee-for-service, that's your model. And that's where I'd like to begin is by having each listener understand you have a model 
And where you go and where you're able to go based on your current model is the big story. If you've always been fee for service and you've worked it well and you've strategized well and you're doing nicely, you can stay fee for service. But if you're in all PPO practice and we do get these calls and you suddenly decide you want to be all fee for service, that's extraordinarily unlikely to happen in that office. So the model you built, the model you're in, will influence your ability to make certain decisions. Now, some models lend themselves to certain changes easier than others. And the other big point we'll talk about, I'm sure, is you need to do analysis. Simply waking up, being angry at insurance companies, you've had it, you're frustrated, they just lowered your reimbursements again, uh, when I lecture, about half the room raises their hands that they've had at least one company lower their reimbursements in the last 12 months. Um, you wake up frustrated, you go to the office and you inform the insurance carriers you're no longer participating. But you forgot to do any analysis. And six months later, you're calling Levin Group for help because you're down 20 or 25 percent. And I don't want anyone to go through that. And that's why it's an analytical decision. And I'll be glad to talk about how you do that rather than an emotional decision. So along those lines, I'm going to use the example you just said. Let's say I'm, I'm, I'm you said a fully PPO office, right? So fully insurance, um, embed insurances. Embedded. I, I, I mean embedded. Embedded with insurance companies. I think there is a plan and there is a way to get out. But like you said, it's not something like, oh, we're out tomorrow. I think right. if you're of the mindset and this, this to me, interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people, everyone will tell you that's been successful at it. They established their mindset. Like they said, this is where I want to be. Then everyone takes a different track or trajectory. And what Ben sort of did with his analysis of the data was he looked at which one is the lowest reimbursing? Which one? How many patients do you have? It very detailed math oriented, and I think if you at least have a plan and you said, "All right, we're going to start to migrate out," and a mitigate our damages. How do you do that? Well, you got to have conversations with patients. You got to prepare them for it. It's not cold turkey. It's here's the, here's our plan explain the benefit to the patient or the why, and then you proceed in a timeline that they, they can, you know, they can move with. But if you just cut and run cold turkey, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. That is a hard, hard line just to establish and be successful. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, make haste slowly. And that's where the analysis comes in. If, if you're going to try to convert a practice that has a small amount of insurance participation, no problem. Because you have to put all the data together. Almost every dental practice in this country, and this is data, not opinion anymore, has a 30 to 50% growth potential. So 10 years ago, Sonny, if, well, you're, you're different. You, you would have said yes, but if I said to you, and We've, we've had the pleasure of working together and consulting to you. If I said to you, you got a 30 to 50% growth potential, you might have said, come on, Roger, maybe I got five to 10, but that's a pretty big number. 
And by the way, that's in a, that's over a three year period. That's not a one year statistic. Right. Almost every practice in this country, we've got the data, has a 30 to 50 percent growth potential, mainly because they're underperforming, but they don't know it because they're working hard. And when you're working hard, you don't see the inefficiencies and the simple opportunities to do better. So now you've got this practice, it's 13% insurance-based. You can eliminate that 13% and probably make it up plus five or 6% more in the first 12 months. Worst case scenario, you might be down five or 6% in the first year. And then the second year, you're up and up and up and up, and it's a wonderful growth trajectory. If you're 50% dental insurance-based, you need to be much smarter, much less 75% or 100%. And the way we approach it, based on what you said, is we stratify all the plans, and I'll be glad to go through the seven or eight points of analysis, and we we start, I'm sorry? We should do that, because I'm I'm going to get to it eventually, but go keep going. Yeah, but before I jump into that, because I want them to get, I'm a the way I teach is theory first and then very practical. Yeah, no, um, keep going. Yeah. So we're together on that, and that that practice we we jettison the smaller plans first. Mm-hmm. And yes, what no, you wait, said wait, is, wait, wait, wait. No, when you say smaller plans, let me let me understand what you mean by smaller plans. You mean smaller plans in terms of less revenue to the practice or smaller plans, less patient numbers or less least reimbursement schedule? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> I sort of walked into that one, didn't I? Right. Would you like coffee or tea? Yes. Because well, um, we did, we broke this down with Ben and it was interesting because my philosophy was a little di- different than his, but I do. I, I, you know, everybody says low hanging fruit, right? Get rid of the low hanging fruit first, yeah. right? So, what would what would you say? What's my low hanging fruit? What would what would your advice be? Look for this in the plan. So, what would we would look point? at two? We would look at two things, and yeah. and you have to think. There's there's no black and white here, right? We would look at revenue and patient numbers. Those would be the two primary areas to look at. Typically a plan where you have lower revenue, you have fewer patients. So they typically go together, although they can, they can uh, veer apart. So I would take a hard look at revenue and number of patients. And then the plans at the bottom of the rung on the ladder Mm -hmm. are the first ones you eliminate because you're, I'm a big believer in testing. Mm -hmm. Now let's put it all together though, with what you said that was so intelligent earlier, which is, you have to have a marketing plan directed to your patients to help them understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're going to take care of them. And so that I don't forget later, sometimes we even put in a discount to those patients temporarily. It's, it's, it's a small discount just to say, we're going to help you through this transition. That, that's not universal, but it's one strategy. So we often start with the less impactful plans might be a good way to say it, Mm -hmm. test that, and then continue to move up uh, over time going forward. Right. Now, the the question I had when when talking with Ben about it was he focused a lot on the reimbursement schedule. And I thought, no, I think if if your plan, and this is what 
wasn't clear for him. I said, if your plan is to move out of it, then you got look at impact. So to me, the impactful score is, okay, if I have a plan that reimburses 75% of my fee schedule, which might be high over another plan, let's say it's 50%, but that 50%, I have 50% of my patients in that plan. It probably makes sense for a lot of reasons. And I think you hit on it. I think it's it's testing. It's almost a little momentum and confidence too. So if your plan is to do that, now you you approach your 50 patients and you you get it down. You get your verbiage down, your team, they understand it. It becomes more natural the more you speak it. And people are a lot of times I don't think they're listening to your words. They're looking at your body language and they're reading you. Are you telling me the truth? You know what I mean? Like, and, and sometimes, you know, when a person gets in your face, they got you on your heels, they're going to get the authentic you. So that's what I think the patient wants. Authentic, authentic, honest. What, what do you, what are you telling me, doc? I've trusted you for years. What are you saying to me? I'm saying to you that the way this model works, I, you can't survive. I can't provide quality of care that I'm comfortable with, et cetera. We have to do this, and it's in your best interest to do the same. So I, I think I think that's a good point. The momentum is with the word I think that you use. But go ahead. So keep going. Well, just to comment on what you said, although I'll digress for a moment. Um, I'm very big on the concept of honesty. Now, when I say honesty, I don't mean truth or lie. I mean just being telling patients what you really think. So many dentists could increase their case acceptance instantly yeah. if they weren't if if they weren't hesitant about just saying what they think. Stop worrying about whether the patient will accept treatment. Stop worrying about whether the patient's going to believe you. Just tell them what you think. Be sincere, and you will be perceived as so much more trustworthy. And that's what you're saying. And your body language should reflect it. You know. But a lot of dentists actually are uncomfortable because we get defensive. Well, I'm leaving this plan because, and you look nervous about it. The marketing plan has to be multifold. Number one, a letter goes out or email to those patients. Number two, scripting. Living Group does two things, I hope, well, after 38 years. We develop operational systems and we develop scripting for those systems. The scripting I can't stress enough, is critical. How you say it is so important, especially yeah. Yeah. for your team. You know, Sonny, How you, you say it. Not right. what you say per se, it's how you say it, right. Oh, ab absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Yeah. And, you know, Sonny, you can say something to a patient without thinking it's going to come across beautifully. Your front desk staff is not you. They Scripting is a gift to your staff. I don't know why so many dentists know about this and do not do anything with it. So when a patient calls the office with that plan or a new patient with that plan, you need a script to explain to them why you don't participate. The hygienist needs to be able to talk about it because it's going to come up in the hygiene room. The dentist needs to be able to talk about it. The assistants, everybody's got to be on the same page and that's what scripting does. So you, you, you have to be very proactive. I see dentists that give up a plan. They do nothing to inform their patients. The patients come in, and that's the first time they hear about it is after right. the appointment. 
And I call it the 50% factor. I don't have data on this, but I'm also, I'm also a believer in anecdotal information as well. I've seen so many cases where you end up losing 50% or more of your patients because you did not help prepare them for the transition. Right. So, Like I, I, I had a patient, I'll give you an example. I had a patient an hour ago, hour and a half ago, and he has a cavity on the distal of 18. He had 17 impacted years ago, taken out. And I told him he had it. I, th- I said, I think you should do something with it. So, nah. so we took an x-ray six months later. It's a tiny bit bigger. And I said, well, I think you should do something with it. And he looked at me like, nah, I, don't want I said, you can wait until it tells you to do something with it. At that point, it may be too late and your options may now be limited. And and then I made the mistake. I said, he said, well, should I do it? I said, you got to do something with it. I said, no, no, no one has a gun in your head. You don't have to. You can certainly elect to do nothing. I think you should do something with it. And and I kind of made that little distinction. And that was more authentic to what I was really saying. I think mm-hmm. you should. I don't think you have to, right. you know. Yeah, too many courses and articles I've read on case presentation, they, they border on tricking and manipulating the patient. I, I, I am certain, I've seen it over and over, just tell patients what you think, talk about the benefits. They don't yep. want to be made into dentists. Yep. Spend most of your time on benefits. And again, the decision is in their hands. The other thing that we won't talk about today, but learn to have a great conversation with people. There's an art of conversation and it's honest and it's sincere. And when you master great conversations, your relationships with people will change forever. Which, I agree. Which is great. Yeah. Okay. So we're still, we're talking about some of the analysis. Okay. So yeah. what would be the next thing? All right. So once a year, we encourage practices to do the following analyze your insurance profile. Because remember, you've got a model. It could be 10% insurance-based, it could be 30, 50, or 100. And by the way, everybody, I have seen all PPO practices with massive doctor incomes. I have seen all fee-for-service practices with massive doctor incomes. I have seen all, yeah. I've also seen all PPO practices with terrible doctor incomes. And believe it or not, everybody thinks fee-for-service is nirvana. No, you have to run it properly. I've seen fee-for-service with terrible doctor incomes. And you never know that because your colleagues are not always in a hurry, especially to share the bad news with you. So you need to have some data. And the following, I'll try to talk a little slower in case people want to write this down. Every year, you analyze several key data points. Number one, what percentage of your practice revenue comes from dental insured patients? Number two. Now, wait, when when you say that percent of revenue, that is not... Overall, like that doesn't count the patient's portion. That is just the insurance check, correct? No, it includes the patient portion. So okay, if you're a, so that if does. If you're a million-dollar practice yeah. and you have $500,000 coming from patients in a plan, both co-payment and insurance payment, you are at 50%. Okay, so 40% of that, like of that 50 
40% might be insurance checks and 10% might be patient checks. Correct. Or okay. 25. All right, I got 25. you now. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good way to look at it because it's easy to get that insurance. You get that W-2, you get that, that, that reporting. It's easy to tally those numbers, but you've got to get the other data right. to understand what it really means. So good. Yeah, and if you don't look at this, you're not really paying attention to your practice as a business. This isn't hard. It just takes a little bit of time. Yeah. And if you have an office manager, they should be looking at this regularly. Mm-hmm. Okay, number two, what percentage of your patients are insured by a plan in which you participate? So now we're looking first at revenue, second at patient numbers. Number three, what percentage of your new patients in the last 12 months came from dental insurance plans in which you participate? All right, now that's the top line version, but then we drill down. Number four, what percentage of revenue is each plan of your total revenue? This is where we begin to break it down. What yeah. percentage of your revenue comes from each plan? Now, so you can rank now, your plans. Just the insurance part? Or are we counting the patient? No, no. All, uh, for the rest of this podcast, I'm always talking about insurance and co-payment combined. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, because that, that's a consistent measure you can look at. Mm-hmm. But that, that takes a little more digging. That's what I'm saying. That takes a little more. Well, theoretically, if you're in plan A and you have 100000 coming from plan A and you're a million-dollar practice, you now know plan A represents 10% of your revenue. Right, but, but, but getting that, my point is, though, getting that information, it's easy to get the insurance because they send you a W-2. They tell you, right. we, we sent your practice $100,000 in insurance checks. You have to make sure that the copay portion or whatever the patients pay right. gets added to that value. Yes, you do. and it's But it's, it's again, the work is worthwhile right. uh, in the information. But it's consistent, though. So, go ahead. All right. right. Okay, number five. What percentage of your patients in each plan, well, let me say it this way, the patients in each plan represent what percentage of your total patient base? Mm-hmm. So again, we want to know that plan A is 20% of our patients. And then number six is what percentage of your new patients came from each plan. And so you can now, and typically the revenue, the number of patients in a plan and the new patients in a plan line up somewhat. Once in a while they deviate, but it gives you a really good picture. So you need to look at that. Then you need to look at average production per insured patient. So in some practices, the insured patients only do what insurance covers. And in other practices with dentists who are more skilled to case presentation, they will uh, accept additional treatment, including elective treatment and implants and aligners and things along those lines. So you begin with, that's our seven point analysis. And then if we see something that doesn't make sense, we'll, we'll go deeper. But if you look at those seven points, and I try to keep things simple, 
and as easy as I can, not easy always, but as easy as we can, you're going to understand your insurance profile and your practice model better than you've ever understood it before. So what would they be looking for? So let's say a person does that every year. And because of the the times and because of some of the things that some of the insurance plans may be doing or or whatever you want to, inflation, your cost of, of, of labor has gone up, what, whatever, pick, take your pick. Bottom line is it's eating away at your profit. Okay. Yep. So if you're looking at that, let's say you looked at that at 2020, 2021, 2022. Now we're in 2023. We're almost halfway through the year. What are some of the trends? If you're seeing that percent rise, right? So that person, I'm a doc. I say, oh, okay, I went from 60%. Now I'm at 75%. Number one, number one. Number two, my overall revenue is going down some because they've dropped their fees or or my cost, whatever it is. I've had a, I've had a decrease. So an, in, an increase in this and a decrease in that. Not good. Those 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 uh, lines on the graph should not be diverging. Okay. Right. So, what what would be some of the things that a person should be really dialed into? Well, the first thing. This is June twenty twenty three. Yeah. Uh, we don't have full data for this year yet, but in the twenty twenty two survey, we found that average practice overhead increased by eight point six percent. So you've got three choices lower your overhead, which typically you might be able to lower it four or 5% at the most. Lowering overhead is good, but it's finite. It's limited. As I like to say, you can only cut once. Option two, increase your production. That's infinite. Production can go up as far as you want to take it, theoretically. Mm -hmm. And the higher the production, overhead comes down. And option three is do both, which is the best option. The problem with dental insurance is that it has no relationship to inflation. I mean, what does every business do with inflation? They raise their prices. There's a steakhouse I love to go to. I take my son and daughter-in-law, and the $52 steak is now $72, and the 16-ounce steak is now 12 ounces. That's called shrinkflation. The problem with dental insurance is you can raise your fees, the obvious first choice, but if you are, if 50% of your revenue is coming from dental insurance companies, that 50% is not increasing. You raise your fees all you want. And in many cases, it's actually decreasing in the reimbursement level. So you hit on it just a moment ago beautifully. If you are 50% insurance-based revenue in 2022 or 2021, and now you're 65%, at least you know that your trend line is that more and more of your revenue is coming from dental insurance companies. You're becoming more dependent. And that's where you have to start making choices. Do I want to learn to manage this properly? Can I manage this properly? Or do I want to begin going fee for service? And one last comment, Sonny. Every decision about changing the insurance profile to less insurance is really, when you think about it, it's about going more fee for service. So as, as you look at your plans, you, you can jettison the lower plan, the second lowest plan. 
you take a breather, you see how that goes. And then you keep removing plans gradually and make sure you don't cause a huge problem, but that you're doing it properly and you're able to do two things. Encourage your insured patients to stay with you and bring in enough fee-for-service-based new patients. Okay. Um, I, 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 wanted, I wanted to ask you one question. This this might sound tricky, but um, okay. but, it, but it goes to that point. So let's say you have an insurance company that's paying you 75% of your fee. Okay. And you're accepting it and you're doing it. They're going to drop to 50%. Okay. So you send out the notice and you have the conversations and you migrate out of that plan. Where's that break even number, right? Like, cause I, I think a, if you keep half of those patients, right? Half of them, and they now pay your full fee. And then you, you miss the other half of the patients. Okay. There's the number of patients are gone, but the number you retain are now paying you more likely what you need or would like to survive. And now you have time to see more patients in that same vein. So if you open up four appointments and you fill two of them in with full fee patients, you're, you're still ahead. Is there, is there like a number where that be, where those, where those two graphs cross over? Yeah. Where the curves, in, where the curves intersect. Yes. Uh, I do have a number. I want to preface it by saying you still should do the analysis. So you, right. you look at the mathematical analysis, but the answer is about 50%. If you lose half your patients, you're usually in a break-even situation. And the other thing is, you know, Sonny, you and I have been in dentistry a long time. As, as your listeners may know, I'm a general dentist. I was 10 years full time. You've been in, the, in clinical practice a lot longer than I was. But we both live this life and we get confused. You know, at the end of a day, you're super busy, huge volume, a lot of emergencies. We go home exhausted, but we feel good that we had this big, busy day. And then you go in the next morning and, and I have a joke, you know, how did we do yesterday? Oh, we made nothing, uh, which is not true usually. But the point is, don't confuse volume with revenue. Don't confuse volume with success. Dentists get bent out of shape when they have a no-show, which is, we'd like to eliminate that. But the point is that just being busy is not the key to success. We have to look at average production per patient, average production per new patient. By the way, focus on getting new patients. The, the new patients represent 200% to 300% higher financial value in the first 12 months versus a current active patient. So here's an example. We have a client I heard about in our Monday National Consultants meeting. Great point. Uh, there are a lot of practices like this. They're so busy, they can't get their new patients in. Well, if we were having a scheduling podcast, I would talk about blocking for how do you mathematically know how many new patients you need. Here's the problem. If you can't get your new patients in, your production is going to flatten out or even decline. Yeah. You're super busy. Your hygiene's busy. But if you don't get new patients in, you're not getting that more financially valuable patient. Therefore, production is going to be at a lower level. 
So one of the antidotes to insurance and going more fee for service for those that want to do that is more new patients and then analyzing what's the average production per new patient. If they're coming in, they're getting hygiene and one restoration, well, that's not going to do it. So learning complete diagnosis also is very, very helpful for practices. Well, I think your point too is busyness. People confuse busyness from having a profitable business. Yeah. And sometimes you may have three patients, but the one patient sat, you did a root canal, three unit bridge. The other one, you took out eight teeth and put in a denture, you know, and the other patient, maybe you did two quadrants of, of restorations. Well, in the end, pretty productive day dollar wise and you weren't yeah. running around like you had roller skates on so so the key is kind of i always tell folks especially with young docs they start with us listen enjoy some of those slow moments because there's usually plenty of busy moments that that make up for them you know and right and don't don't fret it just make sure that you can use that time to your advantage you know do something call patient reach out you know uh, let people know who you are, where you are, or or just call someone and thank them for coming in. Yeah, yeah I would make the comment that you're absolutely right. Busyness is not productivity is how I say it. Right. And, you know, I, I have seen schedules where day after day, high volume, low production, and the dentist is exhausted. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's another thing is, you know, over the course of a career, you know, uh, manage your energy because you're going to be 55 and exhausted versus people who are 70 and rearing to go. Um, And the more fee for service you are, the lower your volume, the less exhausted you will be. So it's really important uh, to look at that from a time management scheduling standpoint. The other point I don't want to forget to make is the more fee for service you are, the better your customer service needs to be. And there are ways to improve your customer service. Um, I, 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 My first video book, and I'm not here to sell books, I wanna make this very clear, was a 36 chapter training guide on five-star customer service. And getting to five-star is not easy. Every, you know, Sonny, dentists all think they're five-star. And I'm not being critical, uh, but five-star is rare. Therefore, most dentists cannot be five-star, it's rare. Most are three or four-star, not bad, but not five-star. Because once you get to five-star, you're going to attract all the patients you want to have. Your patients are going to accept treatment. Your practice is going to be a positive environment. Your staff is going to be happy. It, it's a totally different way of practicing. If you are 70, 80, 90% insurance-based, you've got to make up the lower reimbursements on higher volume it, it, you begin to slip in customer service almost naturally because you're moving so quickly. So I, I, as you want to go more fee-for-service, bring your customer service along with it. Really important. So I think the two points that I take that, I, that I've heard that really should resonate with a lot of people is if you are looking to get out of insurance plans, A, you got to know your numbers, but but the other parts of it is up your customer service and up your marketing. Right. And, and I know Josh talked about that, a good friend of mine, Josh, and he he did that. He had a knee-jerk reaction. He said, that's it. They didn't. And he dropped his insurance plans right away. Didn't have a plan. Yeah. And then he just, 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 just coming up January 1st. And then, and then it was like a vacuum. His whole practice was empty. 
which he took time. He learned his computer system. He spent X and he said, don't forget, you need to market way ahead of your decision. So he kind of has retro learn, you know, learn that in retrospect of, of what should be done. So my, my questions now are going to focus a little bit on talking to those people who are flirting with the idea, toying with it, you know, wrestling with it, whatever word you want to put in there as a, as a, as a verb, but really thinking that this is the direction they want to go in. What are some of their thought processes? What are some of the things they should think? I know we talked about the analysis, but I don't know if you want to highlight a couple of those, but what are some of the key points they need to do? Well, the first one you're going to find funny, which is be careful who you're listening to. You know, Sonny, you're a straight (laughs) shooter. I, I, 38 years later, I hope we live in the real world of helping people the right way. But, you know, if you go on Facebook and you read everybody's posts, they're not all true. That's a great point. We had a funny experience. Uh, there's a dentist on Facebook and mega practice, mega income. And I, I don't participate a lot on Facebook, but I do like to follow it and see what dentists are saying and young dent. I love young dentist conversations and what are they thinking? Uh, I don't, I don't like the nastiness or the silliness, but I like, I love good conversations. Yeah. Unprofessional. Nobody needs to be unprofessional. Right. Yeah, right. I, I, I like to learn to, to, to get a sense of what's going on. And this one dentist was just promoting this amazing practice, amazing profit, amazing everything. And I remember thinking, wow, I wonder how he did that. We, we have lots and lots of clients. We are systems based. We've been doing this for 38 years. And you just rarely see a result like that. And then he called Levin Group for help. <laughs> And it turned out that most, and I'm pretty good with, I I have a pretty good memory for numbers. And it turned out most of what I remember from his posting was not what was really going on in his practice. But what bothered me is other people seeing that might think, oh, I can do that. Well, you can't do it because it wasn't true to begin with. So number one, be careful who you listen to. Number two, I'm going to do the two negatives first. Number one, be careful who you listen to. And number two, uh, be careful of people wanting to sell you something. The people who are going to guarantee you going, you know, a thousand new patients a month. And Number one go- SEO listing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And the problem is they, those are people, the only thing guarantee is they might bankrupt you. Be careful. Um, okay. Having said that. No, wait, wait, wait. But that, yeah. This is really, you just, for that, for your first point was a shameless plug for the fee-for-service dentist podcast. Let's, let's put it where it is, right? <laughs> right careful who you listen to we've we've established right. some a legitimacy and authenticity in that hey we've spoken to we've had all different types of guests on you know from fully participating to fully out and then but honestly there there is a there is a common there is a common denominator here so keep going roger i just want oh, to put no, a little my, plug in for me no no uh, my compliment to you sonny for, for whatever credibility i have i don't say yes to every interview request i get I always say yes to you because I think you are you are credible. You are helping people, and not only that, it's it's not it's not the podcast job to tell people what to do. It's to help them understand their options, which you do beautifully, and that's really important. Okay, yep. so number three, if you're thinking about going fee for service, look at the environment first. 
if the economy is going the wrong way, if you are very heavily in dental insurance, if you have huge competition in your area, then you need to look at that and evaluate. Maybe you don't go all in, all fee for service. Maybe you say, all right, I'm a 50-50 model. I now want to be 75% fee for service, 25% dental insurance. You know, one problem, Sonny, is, and I remember this in the 80s and the 90s. In the 80s, if you were not becoming an aesthetic dentist, you were a loser. If you didn't drive a red Ferrari uh, and live in a big house when you were 29 because you did mega aesthetic cases, you were a loser. And then if it wasn't this or that, you're always, you know, the goal is either do this or you're a loser. Well, you're not a loser if you have a nice income, good retirement savings, and you happen to stay with 25% insured patients. Mm -hmm. You know, again, you have to look at your model and you have to go slowly and intelligently. I would much rather a client move slowly and we protect them than they move too fast and they take a lot of risk. The next fact, and by the way, one comment about DSOs, and I, DSOs are part of dentistry. They are continuing to grow. There's a lot of capital out there chasing practices. So many dentists are scared to death they're going to miss the party, FOMO, their fear of missing out. Oh, my God. I mean, we must get seven, eight, nine calls a week from dentists. I got an offer to be bought. Well, everybody's getting offers to be bought. It's like a car I had. I had a nice car that was a year and a half old, and dealers all over are calling me to buy my car because they want to sell used cars. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting all these cars for my calls for my car. Had nothing to do with that. They want to buy the car so they can resell it and make money. So just because somebody makes you an offer doesn't mean it's a good idea. Be careful. But the insurance point I want to make is DSOs get better reimbursements than you do. Now, not the five practice DSO, but if they've got 50 practices, 100 practices, and I've seen some of these numbers, so I know inside exactly what I'm talking about, they might get 30% to 40% better reimbursements than a one, two, three, four, five doctor group. Number two, number whatever number I'm on, the people who are going to negotiate for you are probably not going to be able to do much for you. The top four dental insurers do not negotiate with private practices. They negotiate with DSOs, but not with private practices. So you can threaten them. You can threaten to leave. You can hire a firm to represent you. Nothing's going to change. So if you want to go fee for service, I would create a three to five year plan. And over that three to five years, and year one, you can get started, I would begin increasing customer service, adding some marketing, increasing new patients, and decreasing your insured patients. And then it's all about vision and goals. Here's my vision. I want to be 80% fee-for-service, 20% insurance revenue, and then setting goals. And here are the goals I'm going to hit each year in order to make that happen. And it's, it's a smart way to do things and an effective and safe way to do things. You mentioned it before, but you didn't bring it up again. I'm, I'd be curious. So you talked about case presentation and communication and conversation. I would think that in there, you would want to say to the doc, look at your own personal style and what are some things that you can do that I wouldn't call this marketing. I would just call this maybe more execution 
Um, oh, right. You know, internally executing, getting the treatment plan, presenting it, you know, um, providing more comprehensive care, which is going to actually should be promoting the beyond insurance desire from the patients, right. you know, but I, I think that's got to be a part of that too. Like your own skills, your own personal skills, dental skills, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, let's separate the two. When I say marketing, I'm talking about specific activities to increase referrals. So you're right. Case presentation is not marketing. It's an operational system yeah. that includes both art and science. Right. And I, I never want to be self-serving. So I, I didn't say, you know, like we teach that, but absolutely. If you are going to go fee for service, you've got to do certain things better because you're not being fed by insurance patients. So you hold so, on. That's, that's a huge point because that was one thing that Ben said as well, too. He talked about that. He almost assumed it. Well, because I'm in this plan, well, those the plan sends me patients, right? Oh yeah, they looked me up in the book, so that's quote my marketing, and that be, he, that's yeah. like a marketing expense. So as you drop this part, you got to put that marketing money or that marketing efforts back into what you're talking about right now. So yeah, you do, and let me come right back to that to add to this point. Most dentists don't think about insurance the way it really is. Insurance is nothing more than a volume-based discount. Here's the example. You go to Costco, you buy the 80-pound peanut butter, but the amount you spend per pound is a lot less because you bought volume and therefore you pay less per pound. That's what dental insurance is. It's a volume-based discount. You're saying to the insurance company, send me lots of patients and I'll give you a discount for sending me more volume. The problem with that is there's no economy of scale. When Costco gets the 80 pound peanut butter, they pay less for it. When dentists get insurance patients, we still offer the same level of care. It still takes the same amount of time. You can't do the second maxillary molar root canal in 10 minutes just because it's an insurance patient. So our costs are pretty much about the same. Our time is about the same for the insurance patient. And by the way, we're held to this thing called standard of care. So if you don't need it, you're, you may get sued, et cetera. None, nobody wants that. So understand that the volume-based discount, you're saying to the insurance companies, I'll give you a discount. You send me more volume. This is my marketing plan. But case presentation, customer service, having understanding the anatomy of a conversation, and there's real science on this, is not marketing. It's human relations. And Sonny, you and I have talked about this. I think the key to success ha and happiness in life is relationships. And the more fee-for-service you are, the better you have to be at relationship building. There's some people who love it. I I'm one of those people. I love meeting people. I love talking to them. I'm interested in their stories. And I have many, many wonderful relationships. And when I look back on my career, it won't be about money. It won't be about a strategic idea. I'm, those are nice. It'll be about the relationships that the one you and I have that I value, for example. And that's how we need to think about our patients. The more fee-for-service we go, 
the better our relationships have to be because those patients are truly choosing us to be their dentist and entrusting us with their care. Even the insurance patients do that, but not at the same level many times. Yeah, well, I think I, I, someone said it. I think they said that the patient, they're a patient of the insurance company, not necessarily a patient of yours. And and you find that out, like if you were to say, listen, we no longer accept, you know, insurance rectangle. Right. We're, we're, you know, oh, okay, well, we're leaving. Oh, you know, it's like, yeah, they're a patient of insurance rectangle. They're not a patient of Dr. Roger Levin, you know, and it's, it's a cold, hard truth. But I think, that, let me, let me take that relationship one step further because you talked about it when you talked about five-star customer service and you described the model and, and you said, it. I don't know if people picked up on it happiness of the team, the environment, et cetera. So I think in the relationship aspect, not only do you have to have relationships with your patients, you got a relationship with that team that that's side by side with you in, in the trenches in fighting the war on tooth decay, but no, you know, battling and handling. Cause we had, we, I mean, just today we had a couple of patients that were out there a little bit that took up a tremendous amount of time. And, and if you don't have a patient, you know, if you don't have a team that buys your, culture and you don't have that relationship that you know my assistant knows okay i got the i got the tough one here we'll pick it up later and then there's a little you know hey renee great job you know thanks for handling that the way you did but you, the relationship component has to also permeate everyone around you yeah, the two measures that i use and these are not data measures these are philosophical measures the first one, and before you even think about jettisoning an insurance plan, improve your relationships with patients. You want patients to be thinking, I do not want to leave this practice. Mm -hmm. You want the patient who leaves you because maybe they've got financial constraints and you drop their plan. You want them to be sad that they have to leave you. That, that's, that's the sign of a great relationship. You cannot do this without your team. Your team as I tell front desk people and our consultants would tell front desk people, when you're talking to a patient, you are the face of the practice at that moment. Not the dentist, not the hygienist, you. You are the face of the practice. And number two, a beautiful business question to really understand how impactful you are. And I encourage our listeners, don't overestimate yourself. And I mean this in a nice way. I never criticize anybody. I never judge anybody. But this is a great question. If you left tomorrow, how much would you be missed? In a lot of insurance-based practices, you can just bring in the next dentist, it's plug and play. If we, if we look at Aspen Dental, they've got over a thousand practices. Most patients year to year don't know who their dentists are. They change a lot. Uh, it's plug and play. So a wonderful question is, am I ready to go fee for service? Well, if I left tomorrow, how many patients would really miss me? And that's the personal relationship factor. It's 100% dependent on how skilled you are and how interested you are in building great relationships. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I yeah. think the, the and I think that's another intangible but internal feeling. Like, you know, when you walk into a... Let's say you walk into a restaurant. We'll, we'll paint two different pictures. You walk into a restaurant. You walk up to the hostess station. There's nobody there. 
You look to your right, people are, are scurrying. You see the bus boy look at the, um, or the bus person look at the wait staff, kind of dismiss each other, walk off, move off. You you might hear something in the kitchen, some murmuring, versus you walk into a place, someone is there, you're greeted, you're welcome. Can I help you? Yes, I want to eat dinner for two. Okay, let me check. Would you like to sit in, you know, the section where the bar is? You want more private dining? Oh, we're going to sit in a booth. Okay, great. Um, you know, Janine will take you to table number 15. Completely different experience, right? Could be the same restaurant. Could be a pizza joint that serves pasta, right? Could be a $10 meal type of situation. Doesn't have to be high-end Morton Steakhouse or Ruth Chris, or it could just be, you know, your average bar slash restaurant, but it's completely different. And I think you get the vibe, oh, these people get along or there's, there's a, there's a culture here. Right. And there's that, there's that relationship part, you know, like, I, I just think people sense it when they walk through your door. Yeah. And I'll give you one more observation uh, I've had over the years, the more insurance patients you have, and again, there's nothing wrong with being an insurance-based practice if that's what you choose to do and the model works for you. But the more insurance-based you are, the team gravitates in their customer service level to the insurance patient and the fee-for-service patients get treated the same way rather than, oh, well, let's treat our fee-for-service with great service and our insurance patients with okay service, not bad service, you can't do that. There's only going to be one level of service, and it typically drops down to the lowest level. Not, I'm not saying bad, and I'm not saying that insurance practices have bad service because they that many do not, but they also don't have five-star with a high volume. It's hard to have five-star service in a high-volume environment. Well, you can't serve two masters, right? You can't. Yeah. You just you just can't you yeah. can't play both ends, and and that's what. I talked to Laura Mock about, you know, like she had her, her associate was in the, in the plans and she stepped out of it and it was a tremendous internal, you know, discord. And since that time, associates out practices fully fee for service. She's quote downsized, but she's ramped up her numbers yep, by yep. just by doing more of the things she likes and being more productive. But it was it, it, to me, I was like, that's got to cause a lot of internal stresses because yep. you, you just can't, play both ends. I, I, I think that's got to be, to me, that's got to be the hardest thing. If you want, like a doc, you said, listen, we want to be top service. We want to do this. We, and I think we can all say we service our customers as well as we can. But I, I do think that if you really want to commit to it, fully commit to it, it's going to be very hard to do that at a regular rate and then at a discounted rate. No, in fact, I would advise any Let's say there's a practice that's 50% insurance today, 50% fee for service. They follow the example I used earlier. They gravitate the next year or two to 80% fee for service, 20% insurance. The culture should be everybody gets treated like fee for service patients, not everybody gets treated like the 20%. Really important concept. And by the way, when you give great customer service, you're happier. And one comment on customer service, it's not an accident. It's a routine. You do the same things every patient, every day, and you can easily and quickly have five-star customer service. 
No, I, I don't disagree. I, I think, though, in the model that you're talking about, that person would probably be transitioning in a certain direction, like you said, a three- mm-hmm. to five-year plan. I, th- I think yeah. probably the hardest thing is to have that both ends. I think, that, I think that's very tough. Or not or not even have a plan. Like, okay, you're going to settle into that? You're good with that? Okay, now, now you're going to set – that's your model, like we talked about. Right now, you're going to set your culture, your vision, your you know your goals, your production, based on that model. Yeah, the way I'd like to say it, Sonny, is most models choose their practice versus right. practices that choose their models. It just evolves a certain way, and you wake up one day and say, "How did I get here?" And the answer is, "Well, I added a plan here." Like I said during the pandemic, a number of dentists went out and joined plans because they were concerned about what was going to happen. Every time there's a recession, 2008, nine, the pandemic, which is not was not a recession, but you know, scary. Uh, dentists join more plans. They uh, insurance companies pick up more participation from dental practices. But once you do that, it is harder to make a decision to get out. But if a person follows your advice and they do that analysis, and and they're diligent about it, and they can track it, and they should be able to go back and look at it. So it doesn't yep. mean you can only look at 2023. You should be able to go back at 2022, 2021, 2020, 2019, 2018. Yep. Let's say you've been in practice for 10 years. And if you could create that profile, I think it would be a tremendous exercise of information to see where your practice is trending. So rather than your practice picking you, why don't you determine what you want your practice to look yep. like and make it fit? Yeah. And then I you have think- clarity. You have clarity of vision now. Right. Uh, well said. And the other uh, syndrome we see are young dentists who open a practice, join every plan on the face of the earth without any thought to get going. They think that's the direct. They think that's the key to success. They they think they're going to get rid of these plans later, where it gets harder and harder. Um, and then they struggle rather than pick a plan or two that that might be good. Be it build your fee for service, take time to build relationships, live a little bit below your means for a few years so that you can have a great practice and a great income and a great career going forward. And we get these calls five years out from young dentists and they're in every plan, they're 90% insurance based and they're busy, but their incomes are not uh, where they need it to be. And young dentists also suffer from student loan debt so they've got an additional debt on top of them that they've got to take care of. But build, insurance is insurance is not always the answer. Right. Build your barn first. I yeah. think that's that's the key. And that's the, you know, maybe live a little bit below your means at first. You know, invest in your practice, your skills, your customer service, your relationships. And every single one of those is a building block that can take you, should be able to take you where you want to go. But you got to have enough vision to know where you want to go. You have to have an idea on that destination a little bit. No, you need a very clear vision. I'll go further. If you can't sit down with me and I say, what's your five-year vision? And you can tell me in 60 seconds or less, better is 30 seconds or less, you don't have a vision. What happens is I'll say to a dentist, so what is your five-year vision? And there'll be this gap of silence. And again, I don't criticize anybody. This is normal. 
and they conjure up an answer. They'll think up something, but, and by the way, saying, well, I want to make more money is not a vision. You know, you're saying, well, I want to buy another practice is not a vision. Your vision needs to be clear, defined. I think people who have more definition to their visions have a greater chance of achieving them. And then you set goals. You know, Sonny, I'll I'll make this comment. Every year, there are over 1,000 new self-help books published. I'm a self-improvement junkie. You would think I'd be so much better at this point. But anyway, uh, (laughs) but I think out of the 1,000 published books on self-help and self-improvement, about 980 of them are useless. And then there are about 20 that might be worth reading. It's so simple. Have a vision, define it in detail, set the goals that will help you to achieve the vision. That's all you need to do. And then if necessary, access an expert. And when I say expert, I mean traditional and non-traditional. This podcast is an expert to a lot of dentists. Yes, they're consultants and accountants and lawyers, but it could be a colleague. It could be a podcast. It could be a book. There are books I've read in my life that I read once a year or once every two years that have been the greatest experts. These people, these authors are long dead and I'm still learning from them every year. So have a vision, set your goals, get the knowledge you need. It will get you where you want to go. Well, as much as I want to keep going, I want to end it on that. That was a pretty solid. That's a pretty solid remedy. And I, w- I will remind people though the points that that I've that I've taken from you to heart is a goal, right? A goal without a plan, measurable timeline is just a wish. So, right. and that, I think that also goes true with the vision. But I do think people nowadays, I, I guarantee, why they're not can't give you the vision answer is because they're thinking how I would post it on social media and make it look good, right? <laughs> I'll tell you. Here's my suggestion for you, Roger. You need to offer elevator talk counseling consultation. So. Listen, we're going to be in the, right, the elevator ride. So this is the elevator right. ride interview. So this is what you got to have in this amount of time. It's like exactly. uh, consulting on speed, right? So yeah. <laughs> you're, you're dead on, Sonny. Yeah. Look for that from the Lemon Group coming up. <laughs> well, I can't say thanks enough. I always appreciate you. I always learn, pick up stuff. Hopefully a lot of people will. And I, I do think if, if anything, the message is you got to know you and you got to know your model. And what you want to look like. And, and I would just say, what do you want to look like in five years? Make it simple. What do you want your practice to look like in five years? And then make it your mission to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and people can. I, I want them to leave with great optimism. You can do amazing things if you have a vision, you've got goals, and you have a plan. The yeah. problem is most dentists, and I get this, we get up, we go to work again, we go to work the next day. Next thing we know, five years went by without us uh, thinking about where we want to be. Yeah. So I wish everyone the very, very best uh, listening to this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fee for Service Dentist Podcast. If you would like to share your fee for service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our Fee for Service Dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, 
visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.